This podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message from Pastor Alan Battle. Greetings from the bunker at Faith Bible Church. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. So even though this is uh, week six of our lockdown, the Lord is still our shield and our salvation, and in Him will we trust. So let's pray together before we begin today's sermon. Father, we pray that our world today... Uh, would look to you, Lord, for their strength and their comfort, Lord. We pray for an end to this pandemic and for the misery that it's causing everywhere. Father, we pray for the safety of our friends and our loved ones. And, Lord, we pray that this crisis would cause people to repent and look to you for their salvation. And, Lord, that we would have a renewed zeal for your honor and your glory. We pray that you would awaken your church, Lord, that we might proclaim boldly that you are the only lasting antidote to sin. Lord, we beg you to send revival. Lord, we pray that, especially for our nation and for our president as he seeks to lead us uh, through this crisis. Lord, we pray for the governors and for the mayors that you would give them hearts to do what is right for the people. Lord, we pray for this church. Father, we pray that you would keep us strong, that you would knit us together in love and use this time to build us up that we might serve you better together. So, Father, we, we ask for your blessing upon this time together. We pray that you would use your word to strengthen us and to prepare us to serve you. And we ask it all in the name above every name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, it's good to see everybody. I'm so glad that we have this technology um, to be able to stay in touch. So uh, we are going to begin our sermon today. What? do ancient writings from over 3,000 years ago have to do with modern people? After all, the most sophisticated technology those people had was an ox cart. But today, we have bullet trains. A lot of people think the Bible is outdated. Some think it's downright dangerous. The American Humanist website says this. When people view the Bible, 
as the word of a just and omniscient God and attempt to have society's laws and social practices reflect biblical teachings, serious error and harm will occur if the Bible was actually written by fallible humans who lived in an unenlightened era. In that case, the Bible would not be a guidebook for attaining human happiness and well-being. It would be instead, it would instead perpetuate the ideas of an ignorant and superstitious past and prevent humanity from rising to a higher level. So, the Bible is from an unenlightened era, an ignorant and superstitious past. That's how a lot of people view the Bible. But contrary to what the humanists believe, the Bible was not produced by fallible human beings. It is the product of a just and omniscient God. And it only claims, it not only claims to be a guidebook for attaining human happiness and well-being, but it has proven itself to be so over and over again. Because if the Bible is the word of the timeless, all-wise creator, then its wisdom will prove to be timeless as well. And we find much of that wisdom in the books of Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. These are known as the wisdom literature of the Bible. So, for the next few months, we're going to take an in-depth look into these three books in a series entitled Ancient Wisdom, Modern Times. Today we're going to begin with the introduction to the book of Proverbs and discover the beginning of wisdom. So, let's read from God's Word. Proverbs 1, 1-7 The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the inspired and holy word of God. So these seven verses of introduction are going to answer three questions for us today. What is wisdom? Who is it for? And why do we need it? What is wisdom? Who is it for? And why do we need it? So first, what is it? Since we're talking about wisdom today, I'm going to give you some quotes from some of the wisest men that I know of. So first, here is the great 19th century English preacher, Charles Spurgeon, and his simple definition of wisdom. He says, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. And here's another definition along the same lines. Wisdom is the acquired learning that helps us to know what to do in a given situation. So wisdom is how to use knowledge and what to do with it. 
Wisdom prepares us for all of life's situations. How to find a spouse, how to conduct your business, how to raise children, and how to control your tongue, and much more than that. Wisdom often comes in the form of Proverbs, pithy, memorable sayings. And Proverbs are not exclusive to the Bible. Every culture has them. We have records of them going back from before the oldest parts of the Bible were written. And we know hundreds of them. And most of them are true. Like this one from Socrates. The only true wisdom is in knowing that you know nothing. Or from Confucius. Choose a job that you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. Or one of my favorites is from Benjamin Franklin. He said, both fish and house guests stink after three days. But here we're dealing with a unique class of Proverbs. These are truths that have been given to us in God's word. They're written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and they should cause us to pay much greater attention to them. So instead of going verse by verse through the book of Proverbs, we're going to cover the topics and themes that we can find throughout the book. But today, we will look at the first seven verses, because they provide us not only with an introduction to this book, but an introduction to the wisdom series that we begin today. So let's begin with the title of the book. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. What is a proverb? The Hebrew word for proverb is, has the root meaning to seem like, to be like. Proverbs use everyday examples to teach deeper meaning. Like this one. <clears throat> like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And these proverbs, we are told, come from Solomon the son of David. He ruled Israel at the height of its power in the 10th century BC. He was the greatest king Israel ever had, and he built the temple in Jerusalem. And there are many archaeological evidences of his rule in Israel to this day. We saw some of the stables that he built when we were there a little over a year ago. The place in scripture tells us that he was also the wisest man who ever lived. He wrote 3,000 proverbs and 1,000 songs. He was prolific. <clears throat> and in a future sermon, we're going to look at his life, both as an example of wisdom and of foolishness. And we'll also look at another one of the books that he wrote, Ecclesiastes. But although the majority of this book is attributed to Solomon. There are also a few other authors who we will encounter as we go. Now, verses 2 through 6 provide us with a concise explanation of what this book is all about, what it's designed to do for us. So verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. So the first thing I notice here is that this is an intellectual pursuit, to know and to understand. This is loving God with all your mind, 
from the great commandment. God is a rational being, and he created us in his image as rational beings. He communicates to us in rational propositions, words, words that we must hear to understand. And these propositions require a response. Notice it says that wisdom, it says wisdom and instruction. The word instruction means discipline or correction. It means that this is designed to change us. But change us to what end? In order to get our best life now? A recent video clip has been circulating in social media of the wife of the pastor of one of the largest churches in the world. And before the sermon, she told the congregation this. She says, I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. We're doing it for ourselves. Because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. And when you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself. Because God, because that's what God makes, that's what makes God happy. Amen. So sadly, this is not unusual to hear stuff like this in churches today. I recently read an article by a writer named Colton Quarter on the Nine Marks website. And he decided that while he was in lockdown at home, that he would survey the preaching of the nine largest evangelical churches in America. And he listened to four sermons from each church, 18 hours altogether. And I looked up all nine of these churches, and all of them had solid statements of faith that clearly proclaimed the essential doctrines of historic Christianity. Uh, one of them just didn't have his their statement up on the internet. But after listening to 36 sermons and taking notes on each one, here are the four conclusions that Quarter reached. One, the use of the Bible generally fell into two categories, misuse or abuse. As a rule, none of them explained the text of the scripture in a careful, methodical way. But instead, they used the Bible in clever, rhetorical ways that didn't get to the actual meaning of the text. Two, the gospel is at best assumed most of the time. And, but most of the time, it's entirely absent. 36 out of 36 sermons had no clear presentation of the gospel. There were elements of the gospel at time, but no clear explanations. Three, repentance rarely comes across as something urgent and necessary. Instead, it's either optional or not worth mentioning at all. The pastors of these churches rarely spoke <clears throat> like they were conscious that there were people in the building who were actively on their way to hell unless they turned from their sins and trusted Christ for their salvation. And four, 
While the prosperity gospel is absent in these churches, its shadow lurks in the background. And this is the main reason I wanted to share this with you today. Corder um, <clears throat> says, listening to these sermons could make one think that Christianity is most interested in curbing our bad habits so that we can be better versions of ourselves. There was little mention of sin and judgment. So why would Bible-believing churches preach these kind of watered-down messages? Well, I can answer, I can't not answer for their motives, um, but it is these kind of feel-good messages that seem to be building the biggest churches. So I'm afraid that attracting large numbers rather than creating mature disciples is their top priority. So I asked you the question earlier before I went on this rant. <clears throat> to what end do we pursue wisdom? Well, look at the next verse, verse 3. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. So here we have what sets biblical wisdom apart from worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom says, live like this in order to have a good life for yourself. Biblical wisdom is inherently moral, and it calls us to a transcendent standard. It leads to righteousness and justice and equity, or fairness. In other words, biblical wisdom produces character in people that reflects the character of God, who is righteous, just, and fair. And these aren't simply external behavioral changes. Righteousness, as we saw in the book of Romans, is an internal transformation that's done by God himself as a result of our believing the gospel and becoming born again. And at that point, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the use of his word applied to our hearts, then we're conformed to the image of Christ bit by bit. And wisdom makes us just and fair. Being just and fair also reflect God's character. The two terms are often used together in the Old Testament for God as our judge and our king. Justice helps us to, to discern truth, and equity teaches us to order our lives well. All these things do benefit us, but they ultimately bring glory to God. Now let's look at who wisdom is for. What kinds of people should seek it? Who needs it? Verse 4 says, To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Well, of course, it's the dummies who need it, right? Well, not so fast. The word simple here does not mean stupid. It means naive. The root word means an open door. It means someone who doesn't know what to let in to his, his mind. And the simple are often young. They haven't had the life experience in order to discern good from evil. Now, a lot of people think that Proverbs is only a handbook designed for young men. Many times the author does address it to my son. But there's lots of that advice in there for young men, but they're not the only target audience. Look at the next verse. Verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, 
and the one who understands obtain guidance. So here we see it's not only the simple and the youth who need it. It is also for those who have already obtained a degree of wisdom and understanding. I found this great passage from the writings of another one of America's enduring wise voices, Jonathan Edwards. He was the preacher and theologian of the first great awakening. <clears throat> Edwards said, there is not so much difference before God between children and grown persons as we, ready, as we are ready to imagine. We are all poor, ignorant, foolish babes in his sight. None of us have arrived. None of us are exempt from foolish thoughts and actions. So the Proverbs, along with the rest of the wisdom literature, are for all of us, regardless of our spiritual maturity. And he wraps up his purpose statement here in verse 6. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Proverbs must be pondered. They must be mulled over. Like Jesus' parables, they're not always obvious at first. And the more we study them, the more we'll understand them. And <clears throat> the more we'll be able to figure out the riddles of the wise. So, why should we be concerned about learning wisdom? We just saw what wisdom is, and we saw who needs it. But why do we need it? We need it because we're, we lost it. When Eve took that first bite of the forbidden fruit, it was because she thought that it would make her wise. But the opposite happened. Her and Adam's rebellion not only destroyed their ability to see the truth, but all of their children as well. So how do we get it back? Look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It starts with the fear of the Lord. We need wisdom for one very basic and crucial reason. We will die without it. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools will die for lack of wisdom. Who's the fool? Well, we're going to see a lot of him in the pages of this book. But the fool is first and foremost the person who does not fear God. The fool is the one who stubbornly continues in his sin. He scoffs at wisdom. He rails against it. He refuses to listen to it. He is his own authority. The other day I heard this quote from the uber-wise theologian, John Stott. And it really struck me as a succinct way to explain foolish mankind's dilemma and God's remedy for it. So John Stott said, For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. 
The fear of the Lord is that which recognizes our sinful state before a holy God. And this is the proper source of our fear. Jesus said not to fear the one who can only kill your body, but to fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. During Old Testament times, the fear of the Lord drove the faithful to repentance, and God saved them based on the coming sacrifice of Jesus. Isaiah foretold his coming in Isaiah 11.2. And the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Solomon, the son of David, was the wisest man who ever lived until another son of David arrived. Jesus recalled to an audience one day that the Queen of Sheba had traveled to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And then he said to them, a greater than a Solomon is here. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says that the power that Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And Colossians 2.3 says that only in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The fear of God leads us to Jesus. This is the beginning of wisdom. The wisdom literature of the Bible presents each person with a choice, an either-or, black-and-white decision. And it's summed up in this last verse of Proverbs. Will you fear God, or will you be a fool? Wisdom cannot begin for anyone who is not yet bowed before the king of the universe. You will either fear God and be wise, or reject the Lord's rule over your life and remain a fool. In order to be a wise man or woman, you must build your house on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge reside. Let's pray. Lord, praise you for your infinite wisdom. And Lord, we thank you that you make that available to us. As James says, all we need to do is ask you for it, and you freely give us your wisdom. So Father, give us hearts to seek you, to seek your wisdom, and to live lives that glorify you. Lord, we praise you for this time together today. We thank you that you've given us your son to die for our sins and to give us eternal life. We give you all the honor and all the praise in Christ's name. Amen. So, our benediction today is from Romans 11, 33 and 36. Oh, the depth and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways! For to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Go in peace and serve your king. 
Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.